You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is about dreams, the art of dreams, the science of dreams, the mythology of dreams, and the experience of dreams in childhood and adulthood, ancient times and modern. We have dreams every night, and most of them we don't remember, Mm. but we do remember some of them. Uh, We have a tendency to remember the ones that we wake up from, you know, Uh, basically when we dream and we go back into deep sleep, we tend not to remember those dreams. It's very interesting, but they're, they're powerful and they can change our lives and they can move us deeply. Dreams are the subject of deep motivation for people. People have changed their ways after having a good dream. Back in the ancient times, dreams were an important indicator of things to come, portents, divination, have you ever had a prophetic dream? I clearly remember a prophetic dream that my father had. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, my sister had a little kitty cat, mm-hmm. and the cat wasn't doing very well. And my dad had a dream that he went outside and found the cat dead in the bushes. And he got up the next morning, went out there, and the cat was dead in the bushes. You don't say. Yeah, it really happened. Interesting dream. Not my dream. Um, I've had dreams that I think are more prophetic about uh, the emotional life that I'm going through and how things might get resolved. Hmm. And the prophetic dreams that I've had have been very teachable moments for me. And I'll share some of those. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely share some of those uh, in this this episode. Cool. Um, How about you? Have you had some dreams that have influenced you in a big way? I have. Actually, it's funny that you said that about your father, because the prophetic dream that I can think of right off the bat is about a cat. Really? Yeah. So the cat that I grew up with, his name was uh, Boris. Yes. We called him Borishnikov. I know. That's right. I know about Boris. Yeah. Right. With Morris. uh, Morris the cat. Yeah. He was was great. He was like my little familiar. But um, I actually dreamt of his demise before it happened oh wow um the night before it happened i i had a sort of a dream visitation um and there were these in the dream i was in my uh kitchen and the window that led to the outside suddenly became a um, a portal to another world and interesting it was like like a dark forest I, I would say like a gray dark forest and these wolves jumped out very large like um dire wolf size you know, wolves. Okay. And they all uh, jumped into the room where I was. And it's as though they were trying to um, tell me that I had to join them, join their forces of evil, you know, kind of join the dark side kind of thing. And I didn't want to. So um, because I was resisting, one of them, the, the leader, transformed himself into a puppy and put kind of a haze over my thinking. And for a moment, I forgot that they were demons. (laughs) And I was um, cuddling with this little puppy. And suddenly I remembered, oh, wait a minute. This doesn't feel right. And in that moment, the puppy's eyes became 
um, wise. It's like they went from being soft, gentle puppy eyes to clever, cunning eyes. And then suddenly the little puppy grew in size and became the size of the uh, dire wolf again. And it was like we were having this telepathic conversation in our, um, in our minds and everything that I thought it could hear. And so I tried to veil my thinking, but it didn't work because uh, the demon could tell what I was thinking. He was inside my head, obviously. Um, So suddenly I heard my cat, Boris, and Boris had this really funny meow. It didn't really sound like a meow. It sounded more like, (laughs) okay, okay. (laughs) You know, Siamese have sometimes really weird meows. It's Siamese cats with their crossed eyes. Yeah. It's like, you know, not like any other meow you've ever heard. Um, sounded like he swallowed a box of nails or something like that, you know? <laughs> but um, anyway, when I heard Boris, it occurred to me, oh, shoot, now my cat's involved. And I didn't want my cat involved. So I tried to pretend that I didn't notice. And the look of recognition on the lead demon's face was like, oh, he kind of nodded like, I see what's going on here. You care about that little creature right there. Oh, wow. And so instantly, um, his jaw dislocated. It was this horrific image, right? Nightmare, really. And his jaw got really huge, and he bit Boris in the kidneys. I remember specifically, it was a lower back, piercing into the the cat, and he he shook his head back and forth, wagging, you know, the cat, and then he threw the cat onto the floor, and you could hear the flop of the cat's body against the the carpet that's very vivid it was and i was like to have that you know screaming no you know like some kind of dramatic movie or something and uh and then he looked back at me with this nod of do you see what happens when you don't do as i say when you don't join with us and then he leapt up back into the portal and the other two or three demon dogs (laughs) leapt up after him and suddenly the glass transformed back into glass. It went from being a portal back into a glass during the day, daylight where you could see out into the, into the garden. And I just felt devastated, like this traumatic thing had taken place. And um, so I went to school the next day feeling very unrested. And when I was getting picked up by my mother, my mom looked very distressed and she had been crying. And I, I said, Mom, what's wrong? And she said, it's Boris. And as soon as she said, it's Boris, mm, I said, he's, I, I just knew he was not okay. Anyway, I said, how, how did it happen? And she told me that his kidneys had collapsed overnight. Mm, wow. So it was just very, very, uh, oh, goodness gracious. synchronistic and wow. Wow. It really, it hit me. Yeah. Hit me hard. There were, there were quite a few dreams that I had had around that time period that were like that in, in the sense that they were strange. They were odd. They were eerie they were um seemingly supernatural or maybe prophetic in some way Hmm. wow yeah that's a very powerful and prophetic dream they used to believe that dreams were mostly about the everyday things that we've been experiencing in our lives and actually uh upon studying that that seems not to be the case it's a very small percentage of of our our daily life that we're reliving in our dreams but the themes from our daily lives that do come into our dreams are the emotions that we're experiencing. Uh, Most of our dreams, even though the imagery or 
the themes or the topics of the dreams don't necessarily match actual real objects and things like that from our daily life, the emotional content of the dreams does match our daily lives. And this is a, an interesting thing to consider. You connected in that dream with something very emotional to you, mm. you know, and, and it was prophetic in this case. Mm. Um, and it just reminds me that our minds are filters of consciousness and they filter out consciousness. And that sometimes when we um, have moments where those filters are loosened up a little bit, we actually can pick up on things that are grander than our, our, you know, prison of time that we live in every day. Right. You know, and uh, uh, I know you and Boris had a, a good connection and uh, um, you really picked up on something and it was his kidneys. Yeah, it's amazing. It just shows yeah. that you, you somehow picked up what was going on and that was emotional and you dreamt about it. Yeah, it, it's an wow. interesting idea just to wonder which came first. You know, was it, was it me perceiving what was to be and interpreting that in a metaphorical way? Was the, you know, the visitation uh, real in some way? And, and uh, were there, um, you know, beings interacting through the imagery of my mind at some level? And then the action that they took of biting, did it actually have a physical effect? I mean, th this is a um, discussion about magic almost, you know, and yeah. dreams, uh, besides being the subject of a modern scientific inquiry, um, and, and a curiosity for most people, um, also have a long tradition of um, being woven into magic and uh, spirituality and things like that. And I, I wonder uh, if there isn't something that has to do with um, the way we filter reality through our dreams and that, that there may be these different levels of awareness that can be connected through the dream. And me, what I mean by that is that maybe not all dreams are the same. Hmm. There are definitely um, levels of dreams that I've recognized that are um, highly abstract. Some are very, very uh, lucid and clear. Um, some don't feel like dreams at all. Some do. Some right. feel like I'm just literally in another world. Some feel like I'm just having random thoughts. I mean, th there's definitely a different... I want to use the word vibration because I sense it kinesthetically as kind of like a frequency vibration of some kind. And yeah, there's visual stuff going on, but I also feel it in, in, in a different oh, yeah. way. Like there are times when, when, um, we've talked about out of body experiences, uh, where yeah. I've, I've left my body and a person could say that's a dream, but it doesn't feel like a dream. It's a very different frequency going on in my awareness and probably I would guess that if you hooked me up to a, um, an EEG, that you'd be able to tell there were differences in the brainwave frequencies that were happening there, but maybe not significant differences. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I don't think we really fully even understand what's going on. I mean, there, there, are, there have been studies I've read about um, how they've stimulated out-of-body experiences, but just because they were able to stimulate those out-of-body experiences with a... Um, scientific kind of parameter around it. I don't necessarily know that that's all there is to it. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you know what I mean? They're, yeah, they're, yeah. The subject's a lot bigger than that, than that one series of tests they did, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, and I don't know. I, I kind of remain open to it. Yeah. And I like yeah. that we're having this discussion because 
I wanted to come at this from more of the mythic, yeah, uh, shamanic side of it, yeah. and then um, you know you talk about the the medical side of it, and and let's try to kind of weave it together. I like to, that idea. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. make it because you know what what I find is I love the artistic side of dreaming. I yeah. love that. That's my favorite part about the dream topic. Yet when I look into the science of sleep and dreams. I find that it actually deepens those artistic insights. Mm. And I think we're going to look at some of that tonight. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, speaking of um, you know, looking at sleep more of an artful way, you know, or of, of a shamanic way, mm-hmm. um, I have really been influenced a lot in the way I view dreams by the writings of Thomas More. Oh, uh, yeah. And Thomas More uh, wrote a great book called Care of the Soul. He's written many That's a wonderful, wonderful book. books. Yeah. Conviviality. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy his writings. Beautiful, um, beautiful book. And some of his perspectives on dreams have uh, helped me understand dreams and have influenced me to explore new territory with, with um, how I look at dreams. Um, and one of the things that Thomas More says, and I, I, I love this, is that dreams are the mythology of the soul. Hmm. And yeah. it's such a beautiful concept because mythology, I mean, if you just look at what, what myths are, they're stories, right? But they're not just regular old stories. They're stories that have lessons and there's stories that that speak to archetypes inside of us and and myths and mythology they're they're powerful stories they have something to say and if dreams really are the mythology of the soul then we need to look at the stories that our dreams are presenting to us Definitely. and we need to look at them as art you know and and you know again another thing that thomas more says is to view your dreams as though they were a painting and he likes to get away from this idea of trying to just immediately interpret your dream. You know, you hear a dream and you want to crack the code and, and talk about what it means when really maybe you can get just as much, if not more from that dream by looking at it as a piece of art and how you can appreciate a painting in different ways at different phases in your life. And based upon new information that you gain in your, in your life's experience, how a painting might take on a different meaning. I remember right. one time I was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and I was with a few guys that understood art pretty well. And I did not at that time at all. And I was not appreciating some of the Monets and the Van Goghs and the things like that that they had there. And I was looking at some of those like, really? Come on. It just looks like, you know, little kids' paintings. Then years later, after I had taken a fine arts course, I had a real different appreciation for those paintings. And I looked back at my experience at that museum and I had to laugh at myself. Like, you know, I went in with uh, these preconceived ideas, these, these notions that this wasn't real art. And now I've been given this new information and now I regret that I didn't appreciate those pieces of art that were staring me, you know, right in the face, right in, actually in front of me. And yeah. 
I think I've, I've felt that way about dreams my, in my own life where I've looked at a dream and it didn't seem like much or I interpreted it a certain way. And then maybe sometime later, months later or years later, I think of that dream and I go, oh, now I see what that dream was saying. Or right. at least at that time in my life, you know, I can see more about what it was saying and what it meant. Well, yeah. Um, in the pursuit of excellence, in whatever category, your appreciation for subtlety increases. And so, you know, from taking thousands of pulses, things about a pulse that you wouldn't have noticed initially, and you especially yes. wouldn't have noticed when you just had a, you know, regular medical um, outlook on it, you That's know, right. just from yeah. having first aid, you know, compare that understanding to uh, learning to diagnose from a, a traditional Chinese medicine standpoint and developing that skill over time. You know, with martial arts and Tai Chi, we can tell a lot from the moment someone's arm touches us that most people have not developed the skill to to recognize. That's right. I mean, I can tell the moment someone touches me kind of where their main um, balance point and strength is. Now take that times you know, some large number and imagine our teacher yes, who feels right. that so clearly and so succinctly. It's like right away, as soon as he, he gets that touch. I mean, sometimes even before you even touch him, right? Um, oh, we've talked about uh, Tom Brown, the, the guy who can track yeah, the an tracker. animal across solid rock and tell you which direction and how long ago and how fast they were running and what type of animal. And there's, and it's invisible to the rest of us. Yeah. And you're literally looking with your naked eye as close as you want and you cannot see the tracks and he can point them all out and take you right to the animal. That's right. And he, he does this them. consistently. Yeah. It's not just hearsay. I've got lots of people I know who've taken his courses and they they verify, no, he is 100% dead accurate every yeah. single time. Wow. Because it's not, it's not guesswork. Yeah. That remind him. that reminds me, um, uh, I have an uncle who knew a guy who spent a significant amount of time fighting in the Vietnam war. Mm -hmm. He spent a lot of time out in the jungle, right? He got to the point where there could be a torrential downpour of rain in the middle of the night and 60 yards away, he could hear a twig snap, right? Because he needed to know that he had to change his perceptions so that he could find the information that was valuable and was important to him. Uh, and I, I, that's kind of what we're talking about. Right. Your dreams sometimes are showing you some of these perceptions and you're missing it most of the time. Exactly. And yeah. so until you recognize that you've been missing it most of the time, you don't really stop and think, wait a minute, why have I been missing that? How, how could I expand my perspective on this? How could yeah. I look at this in a different way? Or how could I open myself up to uh, an understanding that will help me to use this to further my growth? Um, the Tibetans have this, um, dream yoga thing, you know, and, um, they have this whole path of training that has to do with utilizing lucid dreaming and developing that as a skill. Because from that perspective, at least from the, the, the book that I read on it, um, it was essentially saying that you sleep a large portion of your life. So if you really want to reach enlightenment, why not use something that most people are discarding. It's like leaving power on the table, right? This is something you can do every day in addition to your daily spiritual practice, which can help you to cultivate an awareness of yourself and your relationship with the universe and, and all that. 
simply by developing the skill of lucid dreaming and understanding your dreams and um you know what we're going to talk about a little bit later some techniques for doing that mm, you know yes, that i've used yeah. and some some there's, there's tons of techniques i don't know them all but there are some specific ones that are really useful and anyone who's listening who wants to do this can learn to develop their ability to lucid dream to recall their dreams and to start interpreting their dreams yes and it kind of helps to know a little bit about the background what's going on in the brain and and what's going right. on chemically, which you're going to talk about later too. Yeah, sure, um, sure. You know, yeah. and just a little bit of the what we've learned in recent years about sleep too, not just what we knew in the ancient times, but you know, right, what we have right. now. What's interesting to me, or puzzling, I should say, is the Chinese medicine view of dreams. <laughs> and it's probably worth mentioning. Yeah. It's interesting because a Chinese medical view on anything is going to be a mixture of sort of the the mythological you know, spiritual side mixed mm -hmm. with a medical side. And mm -hmm. it's kind of neat. Chinese medicine considers dreams to be very important, right? but they don't like dreams. And when I say they don't like dreams, what I mean is they believe that you should not be having them, or at least you should not remember them. And so they often talk about dream disturbed sleep. And it's, it's part of the process of interviewing a new client is you want to find out about their sleep. Uh, are they having strange dreams, bizarre dreams, upsetting dreams, dreams that are waking them up? We talk about dream disturbed sleep. And that is something that from a Chinese medical perspective needs to be treated. That you should not be um, waking up from all of these, these dreams. You know, I think that Chinese medicine is not, is not actually saying that the dreams aren't good. I think what they're saying is that you should be having deep enough, healthy enough sleep cycles. Mm. So where your dreams are minimal, because we tend to only remember, like I said earlier, we remember the dreams that we tend to wake up from. Right. Uh, not necessarily the dreams that we had and then went back into our sleep cycle and continued to sleep. You know, so well, yeah. I think that's where they're, they're, they're coming from. But uh, the, the, the science on dreaming, uh, like I said, continues to show me that the more spiritual or mythical ways of looking at dreams are legit. They really are. Yeah. And, and, and there is a marriage between those two concepts. Sanoi people from Malaysia. The last I read about them, they hadn't had any kind of serious violent crime for, I think, over 200 years in mm, their culture. The Sanoi people. And they're a specific culture focused on dreams. Oh. It's part of their culture. Like when the family wakes up, um, the first thing they ask is, um, tell me about your dreams. Beautiful. And they wow. just incorporate dream imagery, language. They have a whole kind of... Um, mindset around dreaming and every single person in the Sonoy culture from what I read uh, has the dream power like they can have lucid dreams every single night and what happens is they say that after a while they don't have very um, eventful dreams they have relaxing easy simple dreams oh that's because nice. 
if you're having a lot of activity and a lot of things happening in your dreams, it means that you're not settled. And so they would talk about it and they would work it out. And so the dreams are, are uh, diagnostic as well. Okay. But they've developed, uh, they, they feel that, that because they've resolved these things in their dreams and everything's a go in your dream, you, know, you can just sort of relax and do whatever you need to do in your dream. Um, it takes away the tension, the psychic and psychological tension that is in people that causes them to act out and be violent and, and so on. How healthy your dreams are will indicate your psychological behavior that's in the world. fantastic because that's very consistent with what is understood in science today in regards to what dreaming does for your brain. How so? Um, it's very interesting. They've, well, first of all, they've done studies where they've interrupted people during REM sleep, during dream sleep, REM sleep, rapid eye movement. And what they did is they, they took one group of people and they showed them these various uh, facial expressions and they had the people, you know, uh, rate, you know, something like the level of friendliness or something along those lines uh, versus the level of, you know, hostility maybe. And they had some people rate the faces when they have been sleep deprived and especially when they've been um, robbed of REM sleep. Mm. And when people have been... Uh, functioning short on REM sleep, they have a tendency to interpret the faces with more negativity. So they're more likely to think that a face has more hostility in it or unfriendliness versus people that have had REM sleep. Now, during REM sleep, one of the things that is uh, believed to be occurring is that the emotional and social centers of your brain are going through a process of recalibration with the frontal cortex so that um, we become better at dealing with social situations. We become more skilled, sort of, I guess you could say, increases our emotional intelligence during REM sleep. So REM sleep has a very real social emotional role in society. So here you have this group of people that make dreaming a virtue and there, there they are, a, a, a society of people that um, are peaceful. Yeah, that makes sense. And in order to do that, they must be getting quality sleep. Yeah, yeah, they have to. And they have to be getting REM sleep, which right. is the one thing that we generally get robbed of right. in modern society, getting up early in the morning, because that's usually when you get most of your REM sleep. Is, yeah, is, because you know, later it, in the morning. isn't that, um, I think they, they said, uh, basically the first four to five hours is where you get into your NREM, which is the deep sleep stuff, mm -hmm. right? But then yeah. after that, you're you're going into your, your actual REM cycles, right? Yeah, correct. Until yeah. you wake up again. Yeah. And um, there are things that inhibit REM sleep. And one of them is alcohol. Alcohol is a, is a big inhibitor of REM sleep. Uh, it's funny when you meet people that do a lot of drinking at night, um, we know that over time, those people do have a tendency to start to have social problems, strained relationships, those kinds of things. Hold and you'd have your you, tongue. Hold, yeah. How dare you say that? <laughs> well, hey, well, uh, you know, um, uh, drink in the morning. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> start your uh, day. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, you know, a little brandy in your coffee in the morning. How, um, how much alcohol? That, that, that's kind of a, a sure, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of that, Okay, but, but the idea is that it does inhibit REM sleep specifically. And the other thing is if somebody's had a night of drinking, yeah, uh, they have a tendency to wake up when the effects of the alcohol wear off. So you're going to wake up in the middle of the night sometime yeah, um, and have some disturbed sleep. And, uh, and the other thing to consider is that it is a sedative. 
So when you take a sedative, you may not necessarily be actually having proper sleep. You're sedated, but not necessarily sleeping naturally. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. I mean, yeah. this, this show is all about health and, and creativity and the quest for excellence, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you choose to imbibe, you should just do it consciously and know exactly. that, that you may be disturbing your REM sleep. You may mm-hmm. not be getting the recharge that you actually need and, and you're dehydrating yourself. There's a lot of yeah. things, you know, doesn't mean I'm going to stop drinking, but oh, yeah. I'm going to be aware of that and at exactly. least, you know, maybe yeah. take breaks and hydrate and, and make sure that my brain gets some, some, uh, alcohol free sleep once in a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, once in a while, take a break. You know? yeah. 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 You can sleep without alcohol in moderation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but interesting stuff, you know. By the way, um, there's there's a fantastic book um, called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, mm. who's a sleep scientist at Berkeley. Um, I highly, highly recommend the book. Um, he describes dreams as overnight therapy. Mm. I love this idea, overnight therapy. One of the things that they find is that when we are dreaming, we are sort of taking some of the sting, the emotional sting out of memories that we have. While we are dreaming, we have low levels, if not inhibited levels, of norepinephrine in the brain. So norepinephrine, right. again, is the uh, the chemical that deals with the fight or flight or freeze response. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically it's adrenaline for your brain. Okay. You know, so, so epinephrine comes from your adrenal glands on your kidneys, mm-hmm. and that's part of your sympathetic fight or flight response. Well, norepinephrine is the brain version of that. And... Um, when we are in REM sleep, norepinephrine is blocked. What that does for us is it helps us process memories or experiences without the effect of the stress hormone. Therefore, our frontal cortex, our prefrontal cortex, which has the ability to process things, to give insight in, into our experiences, has an opportunity to process those things with less of that, that powerful punch that the, that the memory might have, hmm. which is why people that are having post-traumatic stress experiences wake up from dreams with fright and with difficulties. Mm-hmm. During PTSD, uh, a person has elevated levels of norepinephrine in their brain. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when they start to process those painful experiences, those difficult memories, um, they have a little too much to be able to stay in the dream state and then they pop awake with nightmares. So what's happening is the brain is trying to take that sting out of the memories, but it can't. And so then we have to go back to sleep again and try again and then wake up with a nightmare and then go back to sleep and try again and then wake up with a nightmare. So what that points out is that the dreams themselves, like I said, they may or may not be reviewing the visual images and things of, of our daily life or the experience. They may or they may not, uh, but they are certainly dealing with the emotions that are associated with yeah. difficult experiences. And then that's, that's a really um, powerful thing to understand. And it's something that I think is worth honoring. You know, like when we wake up from a nightmare, that means that that dream was really powerful right. and, and it overrode our ability to inhibit the normal stress chemicals during that experience. And we must look at that and say, Hey, I'm going to honor the fact that I had an experience in my sleep that my system found to be very important. Right. And, and it was a scary dream and it doesn't necessarily mean that something bad's going to happen. What it means is that this is me going through my process. This is me healing myself and uh, good job me, <laughs> you know, and maybe we'll get it next time. Yeah.
You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation about dreams, getting into some ideas about dream therapy, dream logic, and sharing some really interesting childhood dreams. Stay tuned. I think when, when you have a stressful nightmare where you imagine the worst, maybe you imagine that someone's going to harm you or they're going to betray you in some way and you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, it felt so real and I felt you know, so hurt by that in that moment or, or whatever, um, it's okay to wake up and just acknowledge that you had that fear without um, attaching the meaning that it means it's going to happen. Yes. Like in other words, you you know, you in reviewing the dream, oh my God, I, I dreamt that Satch that you you know, I turned around and you stabbed me in the back. You know. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Not not to say, Oh, you're gonna stab me in the back. That's my dream. I, I knew because that was my subconscious and I knew that. Instead to be able to wake up and say, Wow, um, I had some fear about being betrayed. Yes. That came up in my dream. Yeah. What could I learn from that right now? Or how can I uh, heal this? by talking about it with myself, with a friend, or with you directly, you know, how can I mend this fear that came up? Because it's, it's a great opportunity to do that, because yeah. the dream helped maybe take the sting out, because it didn't actually happen, you just dreamt it. Right. But it still felt like you had a strong experience. And so, you know, it could be that there's old tapes playing about being betrayed by people. And yes. it's, you know, this fear of, of what might happen. It doesn't mean that you're seeing what will happen. It means that you're you're playing with what what is plausible, it could happen. Yeah, And right. you're attaching that what could happen to an old feeling of what may have happened in the past. Correct, yeah. And and you know, the brain actually is, during during dreaming, it is trying out different combinations of your of your memories and your experiences. Yeah, it's just trying to protect you. It's trying to, trying to prepare you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, dream sleep, REM sleep, is uh, associated with creativity and problem solving. Mm-hmm. So when we're having these dreams, we have these weird, strange dreams about, you know, I don't know why I was putting sawdust on my toast. And yet Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the sawdust is now ants and and the ants were singing me a song. We're like, none of these things make any sense in the dream. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And part of that is because your brain is saying, hmm, I wonder what would happen if we combine these ideas. Oh, it would be interesting to combine these images with those emotions and those sounds. And let's just see what happens. And and that's what we do, isn't it? When we're trying to solve complex problems, mm-hmm. if we have a problem in our lives. Oftentimes we need to think differently about the problem in order to come up with a solution. And dreams are, are helping us do that. Yeah. They're giving us those interesting combinations. Um, and, uh, th- there are, there are many, you know, famous, uh, dreams in history where somebody had a breakthrough because of their dream and suddenly they had a a new idea in science or in music or or something like that and it's that idea that our brain is problem solving for us mm-hmm. while we are asleep so if you for example dream that i stabbed you in the back um that means you were taking the idea maybe of betrayal and the idea of me and combining it with the idea of a knife and you know and and mm-hmm. your brain is saying let's try out this combination but what it means is that all of those things are 
in existence somewhere in your psyche, somewhere in your memory, somewhere in your experiences. And, um, you know, it's kind of fun to look at the dreams knowing that it's our brain trying out cool combinations. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, as you know, with what I do with coaching, sometimes dreams are part of the coaching. Oh, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, talk about that. A That's portion, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30% of the people I work with, I'll get into dreams with them and I'll ask them about their dreams and I'll interpret their dreams and help them to interpret their dreams. And a lot of uh, the people who, who develop the ability to dream and recall their dreams get a lot out of that because um, disturbing elements that have been recurring for them can be resolved. Sometimes they, they'll have a recurring dream and I'll literally say, okay, so let's imagine that you're in the dream again. I'll have them kind of visualize being in the dream. And one of the things that I do with them to help them interpret it and help me to, to interpret it with them is to say, all right, describe the feeling as you're having it again right now. So go into the dream, describe it in first person as it's happening to you. What are the words that are coming out um, to your mind right away? Like, Nick, what do you feel? Is this fear? Is it uh, depression? Is it um, disappointment? Is it, is it rage? You know, start giving me the layers of feelings as they're happening to you. Okay. Where do you feel it in your body? Get into it. Increase it a little bit. Now let's change subjects. What? Look at your life. Get out of the dream and look at your life. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you really feel that feeling? And an image will pop in, usually um, some situation. And almost before I can form the sentence, they'll say, oh, oh, oh like that's great. they just realized something. I get it. And they'll start nodding, big nod with their head, like, I get it. And I'll say, tell me, what did you get? And then they'll, then they'll doubt themselves for a second and go, well, wait a minute, because their rational mind's trying to catch up with what they just realized. And then I'll just get them talking about it. And they're in that state. And what's cool is they're already in a different reality when they're, discuss, when they're discussing their dreams that way. So it's kind of like, I don't need to do any kind of hypnotic induction. They're there already. So I can say, all right, so what happens when you hold that thing that you're describing where it is and mm. you look at this other thing? And what happens when you bring them together? And I'll just start using language that is incorporating their imagination that, that's kind of climbing on, it's piggybacking onto their states. And they can have some really profound realizations just from the dream. And, and it kind of reinforces the idea I was saying earlier about, about dream yoga and how much progress you can make spiritually if you incorporate your dreams. Because it's what you really feel on the inside. You know, your unconscious yeah. mind is, is interpreting things at a very different level than your conscious mind. So why not incorporate that into your understanding of everyday reality? So the way things feel, I'll say, hey, they'll, they'll say, um, sometimes clients will say, yeah, but I don't understand why I'm, I'm doing these really weird images. I'm like, you're not any different than anyone else. Everyone has weird images in their, in their dreams. That's why they're called dreams. They're just yeah. weird. Yeah. I said, but your unconscious mind, we'll call it that for now, <laughs> yeah. wants to give you some way of feeling the feeling that matches the vibration of the other feeling that's actually happening in your life. So how can it do that? If it just tells you a bunch of words, that might not do it. So it tries to think, what are the little bits and pieces that it can manipulate to create a feeling that matches perfectly 
the kinesthetic emotional feeling that you're feeling when you have that discussion with your boss or when you're talking about having a baby or when you're talking about reconnecting with someone you haven't connected with in a long time. How can, it, how can your unconscious mind get you to re-experience some feeling that's exactly like that? It has to use any means necessary. So it's going to use whatever memories or whatever images or whatever symbols it can, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how weird, no matter how gross, in order to get you to feel that feeling that matches the vibration perfectly. Mm, because wow. it knows okay. that it doesn't yeah. need your conscious mind to be fully aware of it. It can control your choices from a level of feeling and you won't even be aware necessarily why you're doing what you're doing. Because most of us are motivated by feelings. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. You know, I would say all we of are. us really. Yeah. And sometimes there's a conscious process in our decision making, but really we don't, um, I, I think a lot of that's reverse justification. So our conscious mind is making a reverse justification on a feeling that we felt earlier than that. You know, your gut's telling you something and you're acting on it and you're, you're finding a rational reason why that's true. But really it was the feeling inside yeah. that told you. Yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. And you know, this, this reminds me of um, the experience that most of us have had at some point where you have a dream about something. And then you wake up. Here's, here, here's a classic one that every guy's had, right? I had a dream that I ran to the bathroom and started to pee. And then I wake up and I realize, oh, I'm starting to pee. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, so sometimes the feelings that we are actually having or the, the things that we're experiencing in the, in the room around us, our brain picks up on it and then incorporates it into the dream. So we do yeah. just take the things that we're experiencing and feeling and we, we, we add it to the story. Yep. Yeah. And this is also a good time to point out that it can be very helpful to embrace the idea that during our dreams, the rules and laws of our waking world are on pause. Mm -hmm. um, morals don't really exist in our dreams. Right. You know what I mean? Um, They're if, there, but in a different way. Yeah. If you have a dream, you're, you're kissing your sister. You wake up, you go, oh my God, now suddenly there's, there's yeah. the shame. Yeah. But there's no shame in the dream because right. in the dream, that's on pause. Right. Because our mind, our subconscious wants to speak to us in more artistic ways, right? It can't yeah. use the same laws and logic that happen in our waking world. It needs to have freedom to go ahead and express itself in, in creative manners. And in ancient myths, you find all of these horrible things. You find Kronos eating his babies. Yeah, yeah, you, you know? do. And yeah. you find, you know, yeah. uh, incest and murder and you know, grotesque sort of things by, by our modern civil standards, right? Yeah. Um, being displayed as kind of like everyday stories that are part of the, the thinking. And um, not that they were uncivilized, but they just were accepting of these um, primal things going on in the unconscious. Yeah. And they weren't, I don't think they were as afraid of it, maybe as, as uh, a modern puritanical culture yeah. can be. Sure, um, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know I know ancient cultures often believe that the dreams were sent to them by the gods. Yeah. Um and you know, Freud 
you know, I mean, it's hard to talk about dreams without talking about Freud at least a little bit. Right. Who was scared of the unconscious. V- very scared of the unconscious. And he, he believed that dreams were unfulfilled desires of, mm-hmm. of some sort, right? And, and that, dangerous. That, and dangerous and that we couldn't handle them. So your brain sort of created uh, uh, a disguise for those. And that's what our dreams were about. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Uh, Freud did have an idea that I really like and I use a lot is the idea that everything in your dream is you. I mm. find that to be very useful. Uh, the reason I find it to be useful is because mm-hmm. when I realize that my dream is coming from me, I am creating this dream and dreams don't feel like they're coming from us. They feel like they're imposed on us. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're unfolding in front of us and we did not create them that somebody else may be created. I'm like, we're watching a movie that somebody else directed. This right. is very, very common in dreams. The illusion of not me. Yeah. The illusion of not me yet. It is me. I mean, mm-hmm. I am, I am creating my own dream. So therefore if the dream is coming from me and it's coming from my own mind, then I get to be every element in my dream. If I right. dream of a tree that I'm looking at a tree, well, then I'm both the me that's looking at the tree and I am both the tree itself. And I find it useful to ask questions like, what does it mean for me to be a tree? Why would I be a tree in that dream? Why would I be a lake in that Mm -hmm. dream? Why would I be uh, a scorpion? That's useful. It is, it is useful. You know, it's uh, another element to add to our appreciation of our dreams. Right. It's practical uh, application of the philosophy behind it. And I've uh, held an opinion um, in my own life that's been very helpful. It's just sort of like a a philosophical positioning that I will believe whatever I need to believe in order to achieve whatever it is I need to achieve. And that is, um, of course, guided by my instincts and by my morals and ethics and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an ethos, right, that I, I follow. Uh, it changes, of course, but there are certain key elements to it that are, that are um, coming from my conscience. And it's useful to say, what if I looked at my dream as everything is me? example in that dream with with your wonderful cat boris Mm -hmm. if you were everything in that dream what does it mean for you to both be your loving cat who was was harmed and to be the wolf who did the harming and to also be you you know it's it's uh it's it's a fun thing to look at Mm -hmm. or 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 at least could be eye-opening to look at that um i had an animal dream about my cat too yeah. Yeah. Can I share this dream? Oh yeah. We're on cat dreams now. I, yeah. Um, I also have a wolf dream. So <laughs> let me tell you my cat dream. Nice. Okay. So, uh, my wonderful cat, Marley, I loved this cat. I got him when I was 15 years old and he passed away when I was 30. So I had him for half my life by the time he died. Wow. Marley 
uh, he, his kidney started to fail and I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I was extraordinarily busy. I was in graduate school and, uh, my wife, Tanya was having lots of health difficulties. My mother was living with us and she was winding down and she was dying from ALS. And obviously there was a lot of heavy duty life issues that were happening and Marley got sick and I had to take him to the all night vet and we ended up having to put him down. And I always had some guilt because uh, I didn't stay with them when they put him down. And I always carried that guilt and it really bothered me. When I was doing my first Vipassana meditation retreat, my dreams became very vivid. And I am not normally a vivid dreamer. I will have some vivid dreams, but the dreams I had during Vipassana were high definition <laughs> in living color. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they, they were very intense. And I had this dream that I was at work and I was talking to some um, uh, members of the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> For some reason, they were at my work and I was talking to these players. And I heard a scratching at the door and I woke up from my dream and I got out of my little bed that was there at the Vipassana Center and I opened the door and my cat Marley walked in. Now I knew in my dream that Mar well, I, I didn't think I was dreaming. I thought I had a dream and I woke up from the dream and I opened the door and my cat comes in who's supposed to be dead. And I was puzzled. And for a moment I thought, oh my God, I'm losing my mind. I'm actually going crazy. I'm doing meditation. <laughs> this is it, you know? And I remember thinking in, in my mind, how's Tanya going to get home? <laughs> because I'm going to end up with a psych ward, right? And then my body twisted and I, and, and I had this, this vibration and this powerful sound and I woke up in bed. And so I realized it was a dream within a dream. It was the only time I'd ever had that, that kind of dream where it was a dream within a dream. And uh, what's funny is during my meditation that day, I was thinking about my cat and I was reliving some of those experiences and I was trying to work through some of them. Right. And what happened? I had a dream that helped me process that powerful emotion, that, that guilt that I had been carrying, you know, um, or you called Marley to you or I called Marley to me or why was I Marley in the dream? Right. You know, wh why, why did I become my dead cat in the dream? Isn't it cool that we can look at it through different filters and get different yeah. answers? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and that's where it comes back to the idea that, that, well, Thomas More's idea of looking at your, your dream as a painting. You know, you can look at my dream and say, oh, I love how this was, this imagery was there and how the light falls this way. And I could look at my same dream and go, oh, I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. Just like we could stare at a beautiful painting uh, hanging on a wall and we can all see slightly different things, even though we're looking at the same painting. And you might shed light on my dream or my painting. Um yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I, I hope that, that um, through this conversation, as it continues, we can convey some of our love of dreams because yeah. uh, I think there are a lot of people that it really just doesn't occur to them to really think of dreams as something to develop. Like you don't do dreams. You don't, it just, it happens or it doesn't happen. Yeah, they just or they'll happen. say, I don't dream at all or whatever. Maybe they don't remember it or maybe they're not yeah. dreaming. But um, to think that you could actually cultivate your dream skills, your dream power, your dream abilities. I think it's wonderful. And, and it's a craft, you know, it's, it's an art form. Uh, you can develop your ability to dream true, 
to dream better, to dream clearer, to dream more often, to have more peaceful dreams, more inspiring dreams, to use your dreams as a source of inspiration to guide you. Tesla, Nikola Tesla, yeah, uh, discovered things with his dreams. He he didn't have uh, he was brilliant, of course, but he didn't have the same level of uh, education that that others did in his category. But he was able to piece together things in his unconscious mind because he had this great, you know, amazing chalkboard in his unconscious mind. That when he would go into his lucid states, he would uh, be able to manipulate ideas and equations and concepts in a different way, utilizing synesthesia, right? The different sensory systems, kinesthetic, visual, auditory, and he could build this sort of dream world in a way. And he uh, created a lot of the patents that ended up being patented through his dreams. According to his Mm -hmm. own description of what was going on, he would dream these things. And we know about Einstein's dream, you know, where he fell into a lucid experience of a dream and he um, was able to have insight about um, the equation, the famous, the equation, the equation. Yeah. In his lucid state. Huh? Yeah. Great stuff. You know, um, uh, the Beatles wrote some songs that came from dreams. You know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon both wrote songs that came from dreams. Uh, What's a significant dream that they, do you, do you recall one of them that they dreamt? Yeah. Uh, John Lennon, has a song, I believe it's called Number Nine Dream. Well, yeah, and uh, the Moody Blues, their religion is uh, Ekankar, which is all about training the mind to go into lucid dreaming and to leave the body, uh, to travel in the astral body, right? Um, to have these different experiences. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of their songs were yeah. uh, stimulated by these um, dream and astral body experiences that they were focused on. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the periodic table, you know, uh, the, the chemistry elements, yeah. you know, uh, that organization was inspired by a dream as well. Was it? So, yeah. 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 So, uh, so the dreams, you know, really are giving us creativity and really are giving us better abilities to solve problems and to make connections that we maybe don't see when we're in the world of logic. Uh, and, that's one of the interesting things that, uh, you know, coming back to Thomas More, one of the interesting things that he says is that, you know, we often don't bring enough creativity to our problems. You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're trying to use, you know, logic to solve a lot of our everyday problems and dreams are not taking that same approach. They're taking uh, a, a non-linear, non-logical approach by combining different elements and, and they do help us, you know, think creatively. Um, one of the things that I like to, to think about is if I can understand that I am making my own dreams, then I can also be pretty amazed at how creative I am. Hmm. As surprising as that dream might be, uh, I made that dream. And that's really creative. And if, if, if I could think about a time in my life when maybe I had a problem, a difficulty of some sort that was eventually resolved. Now, knowing what I know, if I could go back in time and if I could direct a dream that I could give to myself back then, what dream would I direct? It would be interesting. What imagery would I use? What emotions would I bring up in the dream? How would I help show and teach myself uh, to look at myself during that time of difficulty? It's a fun thing to think about. 
Well, well, let me ask you this, Carlos. Yeah. Do you remember your first dream or the first dream that you can remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, could you talk about it? Sure. Um, this dream of a yellow sleeping bag that had a metal zipper. And I'm at my preschool. And I think it's either like in the sand pit there or whatever. And I start to notice that it's the only thing that's unusual. Everything else is normal. It's like I'm, I'm there, except there's no one there except for me. And the only unusual thing is this yellow sleeping bag that's kind of rolled up and it's it's got this metal zipper. And I start to feel this creepy feeling. And as I get closer and closer to this metal zippered yellow sleeping bag, it starts to vibrate and shake. And then I hear this growl sound like this and i suddenly feel this kind of hot and cold fear feeling moving through my body and it's like the zipper starts unzipping and it starts shaking like there's some something inside this yellow sleeping bag that's gonna come out and then i wake up oh <laughs> what a dream i know i must what have been dream. two and a half or three yeah oh you know? gosh well um, here's my earliest memory of a dream. I am in my bedroom in my childhood mm -hmm. bedroom, uh, in, in Garden Grove, California. And there was a wolf man in my closet <laughs> and the wolf man comes out and he scares me. And I actually woke up from that dream and then I fell back to sleep. And then I had a continuation dream that same night. I was now down the hall in my parents' bedroom and the hall went down and then turned left and my parents' room was at the end of the hall. And I walk into that room and I'm looking at the closet in their bedroom and I remember seeing, and it was much darker, and I remember seeing some of the clothes like just temporarily sort of swing out past the door and swing back in like something was in there and it had pushed the clothing. So the clothing kind of temporarily swung out of the door mm -hmm. and then a werewolf comes out and I see the werewolf and I turn and I run down the hall. And as I get to the, the corner to turn the hall, I go around. I remember thinking I'm going to, I'm going to get away from the werewolf. And then he grabs my arm <laughs> and he yanks me back and he makes this sound <laughs> scared the hell out of me. <laughs> right. And I turn around and there's the werewolf. Then when my dad was over, I had my dad <laughs> go to both closets and kick the werewolves out of the closets. <laughs> and I remember my dad going into my room and he's like, Hey, you've been bothering my son. You know, get your stuff, get out of here. Right. He's like, okay, now where's the next one? And we went down to my parents' bedroom. He goes, this one over here. He's like, you've been bothering my boy. And you know, he's yelling at, at these werewolves. Right. And, 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 uh, I felt so much better after that. But isn't it interesting how oftentimes our earliest dreams, especially dreams from childhood, surround fear? There's yeah. often, they're often fear dreams. There's also often an element of fear in childhood dreams. Just something I've noticed. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like fear brings uh, uh, more of that adrenaline or perhaps norepinephrine, right, you were talking sure. about. And so it's easier to recall because you're alert. You know, it's fight, fight, or freeze, right? Um, your central nervous system gets stimulated. You're going to recall that. That's why uh, children who are in um, 
you know, more abusive environments, right? They have a tendency to have recall that goes further back. Um, a dream that I had that was kind of similar to the one you had, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, I was about four, and we were at a different house in Costa Mesa. And I remember that I was running away from vampires, and they were, uh, it's like my brothers and sisters had all turned into vampires. And um, I remember running and just sort of barely escaping, like you could feel like the hands just barely kind of sliding across the back as I would slip out and kind of, you know, escape. And I was running out of energy, and I finally made it to uh, the room where my mother was. And she was in her, her bathrobe, and she was um, kind of like her, her lower half was kind of blanketed. And she was reading a book, and she had her glasses on. And I remember coming in huffing and puffing. She's like, oh my gosh, mom, you'll never believe. Oh my gosh, vampires everywhere. Oh my gosh. And she looks up from her glasses and then she smiles, revealing these fangs. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, oh my God, like I'm done. I'm finished. That's it, you know, because I can't run anymore. And it's like, even my mom, ah, you know, so really, really funny. There's there's a a sense of tremendous relief and I think a big endorphin rush when you're having a scary dream and you wake up and realize it's only a dream. <laughs> I know. listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. In this final segment, Carlos and Satch discuss techniques for developing dream recall and lucid dreaming. Some very practical skills here. You're going to want to listen to this. We talk a lot about dream recall, and I know that that in, in these ancient cultures is so important. You know, like they had these dream temples in Greece, the Hypnos temples, right? Hypnos being the, the god of of uh, sleep, right? But they had all these different spaces where you could they would create like kind of a, a sacred space around it where you'd lay down and there'd be some chanting and incense and you know um, torches and and places you could literally fall asleep. You know, maybe they would guide you into a sleep state, or maybe you would just sleep. And, and the idea was that you could dream of something prophetic. There may have been psychoactive substances involved or, or not, um, perhaps uh, hypnotic inductions, that kind of thing. Um, but then the priests and priestesses would interpret the dreams and help you to resolve whatever it was and maybe... Um, give you kind of like a prescription, a formula as a result of what it is that you dream. They they could interpret that. And, mm. and I just think that's a cool concept. We don't really have that as much, but we do have it in a small way. We have these dream groups. Like uh, at the school where I teach, there's a dream group. That's and a great if I had idea. a little extra time, I would join it because they do lucid dreaming. They talk about dreams. They work with the Tibetan dream yoga and the one who facilitates it is a uh, an MFT. You know, she's a psychotherapist, 
um, doing counseling and, and all that, but she focuses mainly on the dream stuff. So we, we, we spent a couple nights talking about dreams and, and things when I was there. Um, but it's, so, so we have that in a way. We don't quite have the dream temples like they used to have, but there are groups in every major city that have uh, people who get together and, and, and they'll even act out the dreams together. Like, like one of the ways to resolve dreams is to have people embody the characters in the dream, the physical positions of where they are. And then when, when you act out the dream again, you can resolve whatever it was in the dream that wasn't resolved. You can resolve in the, in the present tense. When you act yeah, it out, that's great. So okay. you assign someone to be the role of the monster, the role of the lover, the role of the you know, and you just act it out for each other. Okay. And it can be a, a very profound uh, psychodrama to allow you to work out your stuff. Okay, you know, it's kind of there are these psychological dream workshops where you do that kind of thing. That yeah, exists. That's great. Uh, that's wonderful. Thing. Definitely, when you talk about dreams, when you start to want to experience dreams when you begin to look at the value of dreams you actually start to have more dreams and more vibrant dreams and more vivid dreams that's been my experience at least yeah we should talk about how someone would increase their ability to dream and and yeah develop yeah. their lucid dreaming yeah and, and i think step one is just making a decision that that's something that you want to do mm -hmm. because now that is now part of your experience your brain now knows this Got to know I, why. Yeah. Why I am I doing this? I want to start connecting with my dreams because your dreams are showing you parts of yourself and it's good to know who you are. It's really good, good, good to, to do that and to decide ahead of time that you're going to pay attention to your dreams. You're going to listen to them and you're going to look, look for what the dream is trying to show you. And just that decision alone is a really good starting point. Yeah, it's, it's honoring your deep mind saying, Hey, I value what you have to say. And when you show appreciation, gratitude, and value, you're going to get more communication from that deep mind. So people say, oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not very intuitive or whatever it is. Well, nonsense. Start listening. Pull the, pull the wool from your ears, you know, and, and, and uh, open up. Because, you know, when you start to appreciate your deep mind, your unconscious mind, your subconscious, whatever you want to call it, and say... Um, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know what you think. You start yeah. to develop a relationship with your deep mind and your real feelings. You start to listen. You start to gain appreciation. Absolutely. That, that's big. Yeah, that's it, big. it is. It is. And the decision of knowing why this is important. Yeah. Another thing that has helped me with dreams is to intentionally submit things to my subconscious for assistance, right? Maybe there's an issue in my life. Maybe there's something that I have a desire to know more about. I'll say, I'm going to now submit this to my subconscious. Mm -hmm. So it can start working on this to help me see this better, understand this better, whatever it might be. And that often, not always, but that often ends up leading to an insightful dream. Yeah. We, we've heard the term sleep on it. Yeah, exactly. Let sleep me sleep on, on it. it. Right. Let me sleep on it. Yeah. You know, and, and that the idea, you get this image of kind of putting something under your pillow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. th there are, uh, uh, rituals in which you make a dream satchel, you know, and you put various herbs and intentions and maybe write little symbols and things like that, that, that represent what it is you're seeking to dream about and you place it under your pillow. 
And that symbolic act, well, your unconscious mind knows that you did it. If you yeah. did it with intention and, and with sincerity and with, uh, you know, a focus, um, at some point it's going to have an effect. You're going to, you're going to experience that. It's funny. You, you mentioned a, a dream pillow or a dream satchel. I remember ordering one of those in the mail when I was an adolescent. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and I got the dream pillow and it was some, some herbs that had some nice pleasant smell that you're supposed to put under your pillowcase or something. And, uh, I don't really recall what came of it, but, uh, uh, I guess even at a fairly young age, I was interested in enhancing my dreams. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that helps people's recall is just to set the time aside. So if you want to remember your dreams, have a dream journal, just a blank book with a pen or a pencil, or whatever, and putting it by your, your bed and dedicating it for that purpose. Say, so, you know, this is my dream journal and you, you could dictate if you have a, an app, like a phone app or something like that, you could definitely do it that way. Um, for some people, that's easier. But I like to write it out. Um, you know, And the act of doing that every day, you may have a couple of blank pages at first, but after a while, your, your subconscious mind gets the idea that you're trying to remember this thing. And as long as you get enough sleep, you are going to remember your dream. And that's probably number one, is making sure that you are rested. Because if you get beyond the four and a half to five hours of sleep where you have the deep sleep, then you're in the, the REM zone. And so if you're getting into the REM zone, you're going to start to have enough time to actually have those dreams before you wake up Yes, and recalling yeah. it. And, and just expecting yourself to write about it every day makes a difference. Yeah. You know, in the, the book I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, why we sleep, uh, there's a, a great story about Thomas Edison. Oh yeah, and Thomas Edison would with the balls. Yeah, he would he would yeah. hold the ball bearings. And Thomas so Edison held his balls. He held his balls right over a pan on the floor, so that yeah. when he fell asleep, he'd drop the ball bearings, wake himself up, and immediately start to write down all the ideas he right. had. Right, right. Uh, it's such a clever concept. He's trying to compete true. with Tesla, you know. I know. Um, you know, Tesla's like, "You're such a novice. I can do this. <laughs> Just go into my lucid dream. I can lucidly do this." Of course, I, I would have advised Thomas Edison, uh, you know maybe you want to just go ahead and actually sleep, you know, maybe, yeah, you maybe could that'd do be that. good too. Yeah. yeah. If only. Yeah. And then uh, not, not, not destroy Tesla later. But, but you know, um, another thing about recall, uh, that works for me is B12. Oh yes. Yeah. B12 before sleep increases my recall. And there's also another one that, um, I've heard good things about. It's called Huperzine A, uh, Chinese club moss. Chinese club moss. It's it's generally uh, thought of as a cognitive enhancer for memory and things like that. Um, and it's in a lot of uh, nootropic formulas. But it's used a lot for, for dreams too. Hmm. And then there's another herb. I think it's a South American herb. It's called Kalia Zakatahichi. Don't ask me to spell that. <laughs> but Kalia, uh, Kalia uh, Zakatahichi is, is, a, is called the dream herb. And I originally first experimented with that um, uh, back in the days of, um, there was a company called dot, dot, dot of the jungle .com. <laughs> And it was a, uh, it was a small, um, shamanic herbal company that was uh, located in Sebastopol, California, which is up, up North. And they had a lot of, uh, legally accessible, uh, shamanic herbs. And that was one of them that was, um, traditionally used to enhance dreams and dream recall. 
That's so I used great. to work with that a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, there are quite a few things. Kava. Well, I know uh, kava has a tendency to uh, be a sort of a de-stressing herb. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some relationship there. Of, yeah. Of certain relaxing and having having nice dreams. In, yeah. in, in, in Ayurvedic medicine, jadamansi. Jadamansi. You know, which is the herb that okay. kind of smells a little bit and, and feels a little bit like uh, valerian root. Okay. Except it's not as heavy. It's not as tamasic. Um, it's, it, you know, the essential oil can be rubbed into the feet, soles of the feet, and you can absorb it that way. And just the, the aroma of it uh, can cause you to uh, improve your dreams. Oh. It can be a little heavy on uh, in some okay. cases, but it's one of those things that people will do to improve dream recall. Nice. And, and work with that. I've had enhanced dreams taking a Chinese herb formula called Swan Zarentong. Oh yeah, it's um, fructus zizyphus seeds, uh, jujube seeds. Uh, it's actually a formula. It has a handful of other ingredients in it, but that formula specifically has um, caused me to have dreams. Nice. Uh, another thing is to just simply soak your feet in hot water before you go to bed, and this really does something from two different perspectives from a chinese medicine perspective we say that it causes your yang chi to descend back down towards your lower body Mm. and that helps you fall asleep from a biomedical perspective um, when you take a hot bath jacuzzi or when you heat up your feet or your hands you start to dump heat out of your palms and that actually starts to cool off your your core and cooling mm. off your core body temperature is associated with better sleep quality. So you're That's cycling true. through your sleep better. You'll end up um, uh, having an overall better quality of sleep, which certainly would, would promote dreams. Well, that, that matches with the French sleep studies that were saying that uh, basically your body um, sleeps well. You stay in, in REM longer and you sleep more restfully uh, when you're at a temperature that's uh, roughly 65 to to 68. Yes, I've, I've heard that So basically too. we're like bottles of wine <laughs> yeah. in a wine cellar. You know, that's wine cellar temperature. Yeah, that's um, great. You get better sleep when you do. Yeah. Um, another uh, essential oil that's really readily available is, you know, get get jasmine, you know, night blooming jasmine, real jasmine, mm-hmm. not artificial jasmine. Uh, yeah. That's another one that can... Yeah. And uh, isn't that interesting that that is a flower that blooms at night? Correct. Yeah. Just when you should be sleeping. So we talked about one of the ways to improve recall is to get better sleep and to journal and how to journal. But then another thing, there's this thing called uh, mild. It's a mnemonic induction lucid dreams, right? Okay. Uh, so let's try that one more time. So, so M-I-L-D. M-I-L-D, okay. mild, is uh. mnemonic induction lucid dreams. So how that's done is um, you induce dream recall. Um, by the aforementioned. So you, you'll have, uh, you know, you're, you're journaling, you're getting restful sleep, like making sure you get enough sleep at the right time. Um, 
And then there's these things called reality checks. So that's asking yourself throughout the day things like, am I dreaming right now? You can even set an alarm on your digital watch or your phone so that, you know, at least 10 times throughout the day, you're asking that question. It starts to set up a pattern. So am I dreaming? Um, you can tell yourself, I'm going to find my hands. Where are my hands? Where are my hands right now? And look for them, you know, and then notice what, you know, are your hands functioning normally? Can you see the, the details of the prints on the finger, on the fingers and the palms? You know, you can ask yourself, uh, is this real? You know, that's a loaded question when you ask some people yeah. that question, but you know, really think about it. What's real? Is this real right now? You could, you know, as you're looking at your hands, um, and if you do that at least 10 times, um, you set up that pattern in your mind that you're going to be constantly checking in with reality. You can look at a clock and, and notice if the clock is behaving normally, because in a dream state, you may see a clock and you may notice that there's a digital number there, but the numbers will kind of move around and not really be quite as crystal clear. They won't function quite right. So that's, that's the next part. And then you can use affirmations. That's like step three is affirmations where you might say to yourself, um, I will remember my dreams tonight. You know, I will have lucid dreams tonight. I'm dreaming right now. You know, and you can use these affirmations. Um, I'm really good at dream recall. I recall my dreams every single day and can easily write them down in the morning. When I'm in a dream, I know that I'm in a dream and I recognize that I'm dreaming. You know, these are just affirmations that you yeah. just, they're, they're, they're statements that are affirmative, that you, you put belief and intent behind, and they're things that you can believe and you can reinforce. The fourth portion of it is to visualize that you're dreaming. So you kind of imagine that you're dreaming or you actually visualize the dream you've had. So if you've had any kind of recent dream that you recall, you literally work at that dream. You, you drop back in, in your imagination into the dream and you imagine that you're there. So those steps will actually train you to have uh, lucid dreams. So it starts off with, you know, working on general recall, right? Making sure you get enough sleep, having a journal and all the things I said about that. Do, setting up reality checks with an alarm, asking yourself, am I dreaming? You know, is this real, etc. Doing affirmations saying that, you know, I'm good at this. I'm going to dream tonight. I'm going to have a lucid dream. I'm going to recall my dreams. Okay. Affirming. And then visualizing whatever dreams you've had. So you actually practice the art of dropping into the dream and seeing from the dream eyes again, the whole reality. If you do all those things, you're training your brain to have lucid dreams again, and you'll have the experience of it pretty quickly. Anyone who does this, um, you know, every day is going to have the experience probably at the very top end, maybe within a month, but most people have it within the first week. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all those. That's actually a lot of really practical advice to, to start to improve sleep, to, to, harvest more from, from our dreams and dreams really are a form of self-knowledge. Hmm. And, you know, here on the show, we, we talk about topics related to health, creativity, and excellence. 
And dreams provide all three of those things. Sleep and dreams does actually make us healthy tremendously. Yeah. You know, um, we've already talked tonight about how dreams improve problem solving and creativity. And, you know, it is a virtue to dive into our dreams and learn how to be more excellent at dealing with them and, and gathering uh, the wonderful, beautiful messages and experiences that they have to show us. Hmm. And if it's okay, I would like to share a beautiful poem about yeah. self-knowledge. Yeah. And this is from my favorite poet, Khalil Gibran. And a man said, speak to us of self-knowledge. And he answered saying, your hearts know in silence the secrets of the days and the nights, but your ears thirst for the sound of your heart's knowledge. You would know in words that which you have always known in thought. You would touch with your fingers the naked body of your dreams. And it is well you should. The hidden wellspring of your soul must needs rise and run murmuring to the sea, and the treasure of your infinite depths would be revealed to your eyes. But let there be no scales to weigh your unknown treasure, and seek not the depths of your knowledge with staff or sounding line, for self is a sea boundless and measureless. Say not, I have found the truth, but rather, I have found a truth. Say not, I have found the path of the soul, Say rather, I have met the soul walking upon my path. For the soul walks on all paths. The soul walks not upon a line, neither does it grow like a reed. The soul unfolds itself like a lotus of countless petals. When I was a youngster, I was so curious about what happens when you lose consciousness every night. Because it seemed to me an awful shame that I would have this blank period where I didn't know what happened. And so I used to, um, in particular, when I used to stay at my father's house, there was this room in his studio where I slept. And, it, you know, the whole place, it kind of smelled a little bit musty and dusty. And, you know, it was an art studio. And up in the corners of the room were all these skulls. And my dad had these uh, human skulls. And it was back in the day when, when that wasn't considered odd to have that, right? And filled my mind with a strange imagination, you know, to be in this sort of semi-lit, dark situation with surrounded by these skulls. So when I would start to fall asleep, I would push myself into an upright position. And then I would take a deep breath, force my eyes open, tense up for a second, and then relax. And then I would watch my awareness as I would start to drift down into a sleep state again. And then right at the very last edge, I would push myself up again, take another deep breath, tense my body, force my eyes open, and get my heart rate up. And then I would do it again and again and again. Well, no doubt, I entered into a very hypnagogic, you know, in-between sleep and waking reality and i started to recognize what that felt like and just doing this over and over again why i did it i just felt driven to understand what that was about and seeing if i could understand where that transition into non-awareness was i think that might have been what stimulated a lot of the 
lucid dreaming and the astral traveling and out-of-body experiences and all the kind of strange supernatural stuff is that my brain was going in between these different states a lot. But what I didn't know at that time, that I now know, is that there's an actual technique that people use to enter into a lucid dreaming state. So I mentioned the other one, that was the MILD, right? The <laughs> mnemonic induction of lucid dreams. Yeah. But the other technique, it's the wake back to bed technique. What you do is you make sure that you sleep six hours. So that way you get your deep sleep. And then you set your alarm to wake you up for at least 20 minutes. And you have to get out of bed. So you're not like tempted to fall back asleep. So you stay awake for 20 to 60 minutes if you want. And then you go back to bed and you, you do some kind of like either a deep relaxation exercise or you do a brain entrainment or you visualize or you use affirmations to get yourself back into a lucid dream or you use the uh, mnemonic induction that I just mentioned. And that is another way that you can kind of um, hack your way in <laughs> to a lucid state. Because if you do that, you're getting your brain used to the idea that it needs to be awake and alert. So that thing I was doing as a kid? Yeah. I guess I had discovered through my own ingenuity yeah. um, this technique. But it, it works. Yeah, you were an early psychonaut. Yeah, exactly. So... Anyone who wants to have that experience, who hasn't had that experience, can do that, and, and it, it will work. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Our featured song this week was Expansive Universe by Oliver Altine. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.